Welcome to this latest episode of Private Equity Talks. Joined by me, reporter at Real Deals, Jennifer Forrest, with Lucas Engelheim and Dan Bender from Code & Co, and Peter Valachek, managing partner at Flex Capital. Hi to you all. Can you uh, Hi, introduce us. yourselves to our listeners? Lucas, do you mind beginning? Hi, my name is Lucas Engelheim. I'm a founding partner, managing director of Code & Co, here in the call with my co-founder and, and partner, Dan Bender. Hi, uh, I'm Dan. Uh, Lucas already said hello. Um, very nice to be part of this podcast. Kunco is a company that offers, you know, um, modern, holistic, natural tech and product due diligence for global private equity and growth equity investors. And uh, maybe not a surprise because the name Kunco kind of gives away that we like tech. And uh, pleasure to be in this call and excited Bye. for today. Thank you. Cool. I can round it off. Uh, my name is Peter Valchek. I'm founder and managing partner of Flex Capital. Uh, we are a private equity fund based in Berlin. Um, we purely focus on software and software deals uh, in the Dach region, the German-speaking region. Uh, small cap, meaning between five and thirty million in revenue, is usually between one and ten in EBTA. I think what uh, is a bit particular about us: all of the founders and most of the team are previously founders, have very hands-on experience. Um, entrepreneurial experience uh, and we slowly moved into into um, the private equity space. Thank you so much all of you. Uh, Peter I wondered if you might be able to start us off with these questions and talking listeners through a recent transaction whereby Code & Co had completed your tech and product due diligence and why you went to an advisor for this form of diligence. Yeah I mean for us um, it's a bit of a standard procedure so we we only do software use so we usually um, apart from all the other areas of due diligence um, take a deep look into tech um, it became standard if you especially if you also do uh, you know LBO finance bank financed uh, transactions um, so uh, we work with code co for several years now um, and uh, quite happy um, obviously and uh, we recently did a deal uh, which was a bit particular because um, we closed Actually, it was a double D. We closed two transactions um, that's supposed to be comprised uh, one bigger group uh, within a couple of weeks. And Code & Co helped us on, on, on both of all these companies. And what made this uh, transaction special, uh, because the companies that we combined and uh, wanted to acquire are very different on the, on the, on the outset. Uh, on the one hand, uh, the one company uh, founded in the 80s, uh, very mature, serving um, mainly large enterprise clients, uh, so very established. On the other hand, I would say a more, uh, more startup company, a few years old, super high growth, um, bootstrapped, um, agile, uh, I would say more chaotic. Um, so that was actually the outset. Um, so that made it already quite complex. And I think on the, the second complexity was um, that it was really a full-blown tech TD. Uh, really starting with the backbone data center, physical data center, you know, how is the infrastructure, how is it running, um, what are the security aspects of it. Secondly, a big uh, backend uh, processes, applications, and on top of that, uh, some front end. And I think um, there's different level of dynamics, different level of documentations between the two companies uh, made the transaction quite interesting. And the last part, which is also important, um, the area where the companies operate, um, there's some critical infrastructure projects um, on the on the client side. 
So the cyber um, security aspect was a big one. So, I mean, uh, quite a task uh, that we gave to Code & Co, but they completed it uh, super nicely, um, very pragmatic, fast paced, uh, that we were able to close the transaction. So there's quite a lot to dissect there. Maybe Dan and Lucas, do you mind talking us through what that process exactly entailed? What took, what did you have to consider as part of that diligence? And what do you typically look for when completing that diligence? Well, absolutely. Um, I think as Peter mentioned already, um, there are a number of like situation specific focus areas that we that we you know dove into and, and focus on, such as you know he mentioned critical infrastructure, lots of data. Um, automation, high scale, different cultures at the organizations who, who are then bound to be, um, you know, collaborating as part of a group, um, and and I think that was that was like the the, the to focus topics that we uh, very specifically focused on. But more broadly, what we always look at uh, in whichever tech TD um, is tech product engineering, with uh, product being the art of knowing what not to build, meaning. You know, our company is able to, you know, allocate resources efficiently, deploy capital efficiently. So, so we do like a demo. We assess their 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 interfaces. We look at KPI metrics. We look at their roadmap and product vision, data integration strategies, which was highly important here because there's lots of um, automation going on, rollout and operations. So, starting from how do you close a customer, how do you onboard customers, what configuration or customization is necessary to to be able to be with customers. Um, highly specific workflows at times to customer support and customer success. Then tech is what you would probably expect from, an, from a tech TD, um, the hard facts, right? So architecture, infrastructure, automation, scalability, security, resilience and business continuity, machine learning, um, but also things such as open source, which is the backbone for most applications today. Um, and then lastly, engineering is people and processes. This is key person risks, soft environment lifecycle, including agility. Peter also mentioned that one of the teams was more like a startup almost or super fast paced and, and, and consciously took shortcuts, whereas the other company was more um, established and, and hence also the processes tended to be a bit more careful and a bit more fletched out and, and conservative. And so agility is a thing we look at. And then quality and tech debt. Um, in the end, you know, we're big proponents of um, taking up tech debt wherever necessary um, within reason, right? Like we're no academics here in a sense that we're just optimizing tech for the sake of tech, but we use tech for a business case, right? And therefore you want to be fast. You want to answer your customer's pain points as efficiently and as quickly as you can, learn from that, iterate, and, and then you need to at some point, you know, address potential tech debt concerns. Um, so, so tech debt is a processual thing and, and something you need to be aware of. And that's something we care about um, assessing too. And yeah, uh, I think these were, these were the topics that, that um, we looked at um, for, for as part of these transactions. And Lucas, are there any common red flags that you usually look out for with these sorts of transactions? Um, I mean, yes, in the end, the, the positive thing about technology is that technology is quite malleable and repairable. So nothing you decide today is set in stone. The technology in the, in, in the ecosystem of, um, of software changes dramatically, right? And has, has been doing so over the last many years. Therefore, we're super fortunate to be in a situation where we can actually be very constructive and forward-looking with our assessment. Obviously, 
we look at um, yeah, deal breaking red flags that potentially come up and then once they're ruled out um, and I mean, obviously assessed and, and, and um, looked for if they're repairable or not, right? We, we have almost, uh, yeah, for, uh, um, focus a lot on, on, on the class have full kind of perspective where we look very much uh, in the future with actionable advice uh, for company. Uh, in the end, also, this is paying into value creation roadmaps um, of, of, of then our client, the, the fund that, that is then the owner of the company. But obviously, there are um, recurring yeah, themes um, or red flags that um, come up regularly. So therefore, we look at them um, yeah, um, um, specifically. For instance, as an example, there's something called the not invented here syndrome. I don't know if you've heard about this, but... This very much describes um, a mindset of um, software professionals that are often have been working in the industry for a long time and that prefer who prefer um, yeah, solving situations in-house rather than looking, for instance, for suitable existing solutions uh, being third-party software open source. And therefore, yeah, this would hinder them to um, execute an investor's um, value creation roadmap as well as um, yeah, just slow down the team and, and, and also potentially if you do everything in-house this, this, uh, this also results oftentimes in actually less secure uh, coding because um, there are um, yeah, specific solutions out there that you can and should use in, in, in various different areas obviously open source itself can also be risky right there's like three different um, yeah, risks associated with open source. As an example, one is a licensing risk. So um, open source being free software you can use um, often is attached to various um, license requirements. So for instance, you need to um, attribute the open source license, but you also need to make sure that um, if you include certain licensees, uh, for instance, a GPL is a, is a license type, and this has certain requirements that you then potentially also need to open source your code. So this is called copyleft effect. So this is something we actually look at uh, quite regularly with, uh, within our tech TD as a potential red flag. And then we would co-assess this topic um, often with other uh, DD streams. In this case, uh, for instance, like the legal DD stream that also looks at uh, open source. Um, and then the other two risks in, in, in open source is that you would choose an open source library that is not longer maintained. So the activity of the open source uh, community is quite important as well as uh, obviously security concerns um, because you include third-party um, code in your code base as well. Other examples, just to name a few, for instance, legacy and technical debt. Um, and, and here, I think I just want to mirror Dan, what Dan said. It's more about like unmanageable technical debt. So it's too much to repair because oftentimes in software it's, it's harder to repair something than to just start from scratch again. Um, and often also if you have a software that, is, that has been around for, for quite a long time, uh, key person risks and knowledge silos can be quite uh, risky as well. So this means there's a certain area um, of the software or the product that only uh, a few people or potentially even only one person understands. And if that person, uh, yeah, exits the company, um, then this knowledge is lost forever, which, which obviously is not good. Um, so we also uh, assess that. And then maybe uh, to round it off, um, something we actually um, come across um, quite often is the transformation from, current, um, from um, yeah, historically on-premise systems um, to now 
cloud SaaS uh, software. Um, therefore, in, in, in these cases, uh, a company has solely focused on just writing software, and then they would give this code to the customer. The customer would deploy and operate this code and, 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 and the platform and the software themselves on premise. Uh, so I, as a software vendor, only write software, but now transitioning into um, a business model where I actually sell access to a platform. So I, as a company, would operate it and then uh, a lot of times this would happen uh, in the cloud um, and then just yeah, sell access on a monthly basis to my customer base. And mm -hmm. suddenly it's not just me uh, yeah, operating, uh, sorry, not just me writing software, but also suddenly operating the software. So I need to make sure that everything that the customer so far uh, was uh, in charge of, like security, resilience, business continuity, all those things I suddenly have to offer as a service as well. So there's a big mind mindset change and also the need for additional team members and um, skills in the team. Um, and then we often see that investors obviously invest into software companies with the goal of transforming uh, yeah, software um, businesses into uh, recurring revenue SaaS businesses. And therefore we wanna understand if the company and the current team is capable from a skills level, but also from mindset level, uh, uh, mindset uh, level willing to actually uh, go um, and, and, and support us change and, and, and therefore, yeah, this is something we, we see quite, uh, quite often because a lot of times investor, investors would buy companies that are still considered on-prem and then transition them into SaaS um, and, and, and make that part of their value creation roadmap. There's certainly a lot to consider there and I think given, given the nature, nature of your work, you must have to approach these assets with a bit of caution having having to navigate such such a broad area. Um, you mentioned the value creation roadmap earlier, and I just wanted to ask Peter how you've managed to incorporate Code & Co's findings into your value creation planning for, for these portfolio companies. Is it something where you can incorporate their findings into your 100-day plan and for your value creation plan sort of throughout the whole? Certainly. I mean, uh, what we what we always do right at the end of the ETD phase, where we basically said invest, uh, we take our own hypothesis um, and match them with all the different ETD streams. Uh, in particular, in this case, uh, the, uh, the transaction I was talking earlier, um, here we had some some pressing points right that that gave us a sense of urgency in one or two areas, and on the other hand, also sort of dictated a little bit you know the order we do things and um, and as Dan outlined, um, they always look at different aspects in the technical DD. Um, one is tech. And here in this particular case, we saw around the infrastructure, the physical data centers, um, certain risks, also certain scalability issues. So very early on, I guess a lot uh, faster than we have thought, we physically really moved and merged these data centers to one on three different locations. Um, and that sort of the cadence and the order um, was very much um, uh, provided by the by the tech report. I think there was that's one aspect, and the midterm um, midterm aspect was, um, uh, and we did, did the, I think like three or four months post transaction, we already merged those uh, data centers. Um, and the second aspect was really about product engineering. We always had the hypothesis that in the end uh, we want to join these uh, companies together and develop one product. But the aspect of you know can the teams actually 
be combined? Is there a way they can work together? Um, is the sort of the underlying technology, is it similar? Um, do they use similar methods uh, to develop? And, uh, and these questions, um, Diana Lucas and Code and Co asked and um, asked and developed during the entire DD process. And by the end of, uh, of the process and in the report and also in the conversation we had, we we're quite certain um, that we can achieve in the midterm, really combine these companies, combine these teams. Um, and that's oh, where we are right now. And actually it's uh, working quite well. So I would say a year into the, into the process, um, we soon we'll see the first product uh, on the market that is really uh, developed by the joint teams. Perfect, amazing, and it definitely sounds like Flex Capital and Code and Co have worked quite well together on this transaction. I'm curious if you've worked together before in the past, and if you were to do diligence on those assets again. Um, and yeah, what makes this partnership a success to each of you? I mean, what I what I, I really enjoy is um, I think two two things. Uh, the one end, it's it's the way of working, right? Um, and the other thing is, what do do I get out of it? Um, and uh, on the first one, the way of working, I think what Code and Co really does is taking the pain out of the DD process for the entrepreneurs on the one hand side, and on the other uh, other hand side for, for the investor as well, because it's a very pr pragmatic, reliable, and fast approach. And I think they uh, they themselves, you know, built some tech into the DD process to automate it, to to make it fast, um, to make it predictable. I think this that gives me as an investor, and also on the other hand, I know from the entrepreneurs um, from the feedback, a very pre predictable process uh, and some security into the process, so there's no surprises uh, how it goes. And I think, um, especially the in the pragmatic sort of easy to understand report that comes out um, that I can share with the entrepreneurs, that I can share with the banks, you know, with the w &I insurances. Um, I think that is that's very valuable. But the second uh, very valuable thing to me is really our conversations that we have along the way and in, in the end, which are, uh, I mean, very open, you know, we're very to the point. And, and sometimes, you know, they say, look, guys, uh, I don't think this is a very valuable company of this, you know, from technical point of view is uh, a great thing you should invest on. And I really, I really feel, you know, that's how, how a partnership uh, should work should work and also you know they don't give us you know there's uh, lucas mentioned and mentioned about open source um uh, the aspect you know they don't give us okay, look there's a red flag these guys are using open source it's it's really okay you know there's an issue but how can you solve it you know it's is it replaceable is it repairable um how long does it take how much would it cost uh, and i think that is for us um very valuable to understand um, okay, if there's an issue, how can we solve it? How long does it take? You know, and and, and how can we uh, take this into the overall evaluation you know, of the company? That's awfully kind. Um, I think for us, um, you know, working with Flex is fun and and valuable and productive simply because um, they live up to their promise in the sense that you know they they describe themselves as next gen private equity, um, and we believe that. Like we 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 see that because. Um, Peter said that in his intro also, they take great care of um, finding a team that has loads of operational experience, you know, and, and you can see that like for us, our work is translating between the worlds of business and finance and tech and product and, and we love doing so, but 
um, it's it's very valuable if also on the other side there are people that who have been in our shoes, you know, and and have been in the shoes of the the entrepreneurs they're trying to invest in, and so they're very entrepreneurial, very hands on, and and um, so I think the kind words he said about us uh, um, 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 are made possible because we have a good working culture and good working relationship and and speak a similar language because we all want the company to succeed right if if we can all agree on the fact that there's potentially a company and and a partnership between flex and this company is is of mutual benefit then and then we want to be as constructive and and forward looking as we can be and and the team really pushes us in in that sense so they they want us to to drive value creation roadmaps and they want us to ask um to be fair but also ask the tough questions because it's it's what helps um, the entrepreneurs maximize the, their chances of success, continued success, right? Um, with the involvement of Flex. So, so that's something we greatly enjoy. And I think that's only made possible because the guys in, in the Flex team have done it themselves. Fantastic. And then sort of um, Dan and Lucas, sort of looking more broadly at the work you do, obviously we've compared, we've talked about the work you do within a case study with obviously Flex Capital, but looking more broadly, can you tell us how it varies through different industries, different sectors, and a sort of brief explanation on how diverse your work is? Is there anything unexpected that our listeners might be surprised by? <laughs> of course. Um, so, so first of all, let me answer the second question first. First of all, we're quite sector agnostic and, and we have a software focus. We've done a fair bit of hardware too, but we're by no means like sensory experts with like a big laboratory that can sense, uh, you know, um, measure sense, sensor strength and stuff like that. Um, we work globally. So we have you know, a lot of clients in, in the United States, in, in the UK, in Europe, but also in MENA and in Asia. So uh, we, we assess both um, companies that are in these regions, but also work with funds in, in such regions. And um, in terms of sectors, I want to say we've done quote unquote, almost anything ranging from lots of cybersecurity, you know, B2B, SaaS, um, lots of AI machinery, but also things such as IT services, which is a services company that has a tech enabled component to it. So you use something to, to accelerate um, their work. Um, we've done science tech um, recently, for example, we did a deal in the UK for computational chemistry, which was fascinating. Obviously, we don't know much about computational chemistry, but but um, or we've done lots of manufacturing. We've done um, ERPs, very large ERPs also, but we've also done lots of IoT, Industry 4.0. And, and I think the most exotic deal we've done was a very high-scaled gaming engine um, that is now used for a very prominent, um, you know, metaverse game creation kind of situation. So that was highly fascinating to, to assess and look at. And I think the reason why we can do that is that's one of the things that we feel so fortunate about. The beauty of tech is it's kind of the same all over the world, you know? And so, so there are specific things you want to assess and, and deep dive into um, in, in specific sectors. But sort of zoomed out from a, from a very high perspective, similar primary concerns and opportunities exist in tech, right? Scalability, security, you know, and it doesn't really matter which language you use um, for the majority of use cases. It's almost like there's there are languages and frameworks for specific use cases for um, just like you have a bunch of tools in your tool belt when you want to you know, um, do some some you know, craftsmanship or any any work in home at home. 
um, and and but like the the big picture is relatively similar. And um, yeah, so so that's um, the broad range of of thing, uh, you know sectors that we have assessed. We at Real Deal see a lot of advisor lists associated associated with these transactions, and we see terms like IT due diligence digital due diligence, cyber due diligence, they're all sort of thrown around. So what's the distinction between tech and product due diligence is what that's what you guys claim to provide. What's the difference between that compared to all of the others? I think, first of all, um, I mean, not the wood and stuff, but we're fortunate to see that um, tech is increasingly a new standard in MA, right? And, and tech drives value creation for many companies, even if they don't really have a quote unquote digital strategy as of now. Um, it is bound to happen as part of um, the, the growth uh, strategy of, of the investor. Um, and there are um, a few uh, different products in the market. We believe that something like a digital due diligence, which um, is more like a commercial due diligence and they're excellent providers, so don't, don't get me wrong, but it's more like a commercial due diligence that is um, has you know a few more data points such as um, some you know, marketing KPIs or so, um, but it doesn't really answer a question with regards to technology or, or product. And, and in a sense of, do they know what to build? Do they know which pain point they alleviate? Do they know uh, whether there are any scaling concerns? Or can, um, is there any security bottlenecks, right? This is not gonna be answered. In terms of IT due diligence, I think um, we're super bullish on on um, the distinction between IT diligence and tech and product due diligence because um, we're so strong believers in the fact that the best companies only exist when there's good product and good technology uh, contributors, right? And sometimes they need to headbutt. Right? There needs to be some some sort of healthy constructive conflict also because if you only had the tech guys, then you would, you know, uh, maybe have something that's super scalable. No one wanna, would want to use it, right? But then on the other hand, if you only had the product guys in e-commerce, you'd have the perfectly optimized um, e-commerce checkout um, funnel with like great conversion um, metrics. But then if you have scale on your platform, it blows up in your face, right? So it needs to be both sides of the coin. And this is something that we are very, very, very bullish on. And and Peter was kind enough to, to, to say that like, our goal is to to manage the the pain threshold uh, for all stakeholders involved, and this is this is the fund that needs answers fast, unbiased uh, answers. This is the target because they have, in addition to answering uh, DD questions, they have a, a successful business to run, right? So we try to have a very focused way of um, collating the information that we need, um, and and we want to talk to the stakeholders involved, such as product and tech, and not just you know the technologists. Um, and then lastly, you mentioned cyber, right? Cyber is obviously very important um, and increasingly important if you look at the geopolitical climate. Um, we look at cybersecurity quite a bit, but there are specialized advisory firms that do nothing but um, deep um, you know, technological um, cybersecurity assessments. And um, we have um, partnerships with a, a company called Intcube. Um, who are 25 years cybersecurity veterans. And if there's a very, very specific size of deep dive needed, then very hand, happy to, to recommend our, our friends from Intcube um, because um, you know, they, they, they're really good at it. And, and if there's a very specific need, it may also be a really good investment. Peter, Dan and Luca, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me on this today. I really do appreciate it.